With a 50% obesity rate in the U.S. and more unhealthy people than ever before, it is time to make America healthy. Welcome to Make America Healthy with Beth Shaw. If you're feeling tired, toxic, heavy, slow, or stressed, then keep listening. Beth and her expert guests are here to offer practical advice and share the tools you need to reclaim your physical, mental, and emotional health. Now, here is your host, Beth Shaw. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Make America Healthy. Make America Healthy is dedicated to empowering you, the listener, with information and education so that you can make healthier choices physically and mentally and also emotionally. Today's topic is sound healing, the power of music and its power to help us heal. Now, in my own life, I've used a lot of music, obviously teaching through Yoga Fit for over 25 years, but also around my house, whether I need to create a certain vibe or get energy for the day. And of course, I love all types of music and dancing. For me, my musical playlist as kind of an auditory snapshot of all of the different times of my life. And um, safe to say, I'm pretty addicted to music and its powers. We have two very special guests with us today. We have Adriana Barton, who is a journalist and has done a lot of work on reporting on music's antidepressant effects and writing articles about cognitive research and music. Uh, She wrote an article about Katie Couric and going through breast cancer treatments and using music to heal. Uh, And she has done a lot of work in terms of journalism and sound healing. Our other guest is Mary Joy, who is a licensed mental health counselor, life coach, and Florida Court Supreme Certified Family Mediator. Um, She has written a book on codependency recovery, and she is actually also a musician and used to play in Nashville. I just got back from Nashville. So she obviously has the tie-in between being a musician and being a therapist and, of course, a a mediator. And I'm wondering if she plays music uh, to get her clients to agree to a settlement. (laughs) Anyway, uh, welcome to both of you. Uh, Mary Joy, tell us a little bit about your history and how you have intertwined sound healing, music, and mental health. Well, I'll tell you, I was raised a psychiatrist's daughter, and I rebelled and went into the music business. Um, And then I noticed I was in the same business as my father. He got people in touch with their feelings. And when when the company that I worked for downsized, I said, well, I've got to go back to graduate school. And I said, I can get people in touch with their feelings as a mental health counselor. So I incorporate music and sound into my work, not with everyone, but when talk therapy isn't as effective music it's just a bridge and i love what beethoven said music is the mediator for the soul i mean it's like the mediator between your soul and your mind i i just like that so and and it was and it was very healing to me as a kid i grew up around music and i loved all kinds of music and i still do so i just i incorporate it it's a beautiful thing i get people in touch with their feelings either way wonderful um when i teach i use a lot of music Uh, curated from all around the world. 
And I use the music combined with the movements and the breathing and positive affirmations to really create a transformational experience. Um, also, having been on several plant medicine journeys, I can say that music is a big factor in guiding uh, a transcendental state. And, um, you know, I use a lot of Sanskrit chants and, and sometimes even the chanting of the Bhagavad Gita at home, even playing music for my dog to calm him down. So, uh, really can't wait to dive into the connection between mental health and music. Adriana, I know you've written a lot about the subject. Tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you've landed where you are. My story's pretty different from what either of you have described in the sense that I was enrolled in uh, a very strict music conservatory at the age of five. And I studied the cello for 17 years. Uh, it's really all I did. Uh, after school, it was maybe five nights a week, uh, playing in orchestra, learning ear training, theory, uh, private lessons. Uh, it was, the, the lessons were free, but what I didn't know when I was five was that in exchange for this free training, I was expected to dedicate my life to classical music. And in short, I had a bit of a mental breakdown with it in my early 20s and physical injuries. My body was saying no. And so I had to find my way back to music as an adult and, and experience music in a different way. And I realized that despite all those years of intensive study, I didn't really understand what music was all about. And now I do. So the the book I've written, Wired for Music, A Search for Health and Joy Through the Science of Sound, combines my story of, of musical baggage, unfinished business, uh, with my, my struggle to and journey to reclaim music in my life. And along the way, I share all the incredible research that's been done in the fields of neuroscience and anthropology and history, etc., to dig down into where music comes from in our species and what it can do for us. Wonderful. What, a, what an interesting story that is. I have so many questions and there's so much to unpack here, Adriana. But first, I want to ask you, do you still listen to classical music? I confess it, it, it's, um, it's not my go-to music uh, because I have, I guess, baggage with the classical music. And so generally, I'm drawn to the music of music traditions that are looser and have more groove and have more textures and don't remind me of that training. Right. So uh, it, this is a case where music, as music can be a trigger for many people, if they hear a song and they remember their ex, uh, this classical music is a trigger for you. I would say yes. And in fact, I, I have a chapter in my book that I called somewhat tongue-in-cheek bad vibrations. And the idea there, we know with any therapeutic tool, if it has any effect at all, it's going to have a flip side. It's if, if something can actually be potent enough to do good, it'll probably have some downsides. So that chapter explores things like negative associations with music or music that has been used in torture situations and, and, and that sort of thing. Of course, most of the book I, is about happy things and health hacks that anyone can use, but I do, did find it interesting to look at that flip side. Well, I can't wait to read Wired. And I have a question for you on this. And, and that is, 
we know that music carries different vibrations. Um, I am a fan of a lot of different styles of music. I happen to like uh, a lot of 90s hip hop and old school rap music. Um, and it, it, you know, it's widely known that different music, musical pieces carry different energetic vibrations. So sometimes I get concerned if I'm listening to certain music, you know, do you think that the music lowers your vibration? Is this a question for me or for me? Yeah, it's a, it's a question for you because, you know, you wrote a chapter in the book called Bad Vibes. So if I'm enjoying, you know, some gangster rap, enjoying listening to it because I'm from New York City originally and, um, you know, a lot of the music originated there. Uh, am I lowering my energetic vibration, even though I'm enjoying the music? Um, speak to us a little bit about the different uh, energies of different uh, musical pieces and tracks. I can certainly do that. First of all, I bet you loved the the show, The Get Down. It show went into the history of the, or it, you know, it was a story about the '90s rap scene. I think it was on Netflix, and it was really entertaining and fascinating. What we know about music is that when we love the music, it stimulates the pleasure and reward circuitry in the brain. And that circuitry is very important for all kinds of things. It, it helps regulate our moods. It helps with pain relief. It even helps with Parkinson's because dopamine, which is a pleasure-involved chemical, drops in people with, do uh, with Parkinson's. Yeah. And music can help perk it up. So if you're loving the music you are stimulating the pleasure and rewards circuitry in the brain. And the wonderful thing is that your music medicine could be someone else's poison. It's really relative to your enjoyment. They've even found that people who listen to death metal, for instance, if they're loving that music, they're likely getting the same benefits that you are getting from your music of choice. So, it's not that the music in particular, the music itself is good or bad. It's your relationship to you, to that music that's going to give you the rewards and the benefits at a, at a physiological level as well as an emotional level. Right. Um, Mary Joy, would you like to weigh in on this before I get into some questions uh, about Adriana's brain development with classical music training from age five. Sure, sure. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful question because sometimes when, and, and Adriana is, is absolutely correct, it's what makes you feel good. So when I can't relate to a client very well, or if they're young and they think I'm too old or they don't want to talk or they're shy or they're introverted, I ask them what their favorite kind of music is. Then I have these really great studio monitors because I used to be in the music business and I have them in my office and I play their music and I'm watching them listen to their music and it automatically is lifting them up. It may be something I despise but it's helping me help them listen to themselves. And that is my job as a counselor, to help people listen to themselves. As a mediator, same thing, to help people listen to what they want and help them achieve that. So as a counselor, I'm not telling them what I want them to do. I'm helping them do what they want to do. And music is a vehicle. It's a bridge. It's a very quick bridge, too. It's a very short bridge between their subconscious and their conscious thoughts. I can, I can get to how they're feeling and how they want to feel from listening to the lyrics, especially. And so, Sometimes the the music itself, but it's just teaching me what 
they want to hear and what they love. And then I can go in from that angle and talk to them about that stuff. It just, it just opens so many doors I cannot do by prying with questions that are sound so prying, you know, like crowbar questions. So as a therapist or a musician or someone who is playing music back, there, there's a listening skill involved and then there's a mirroring and, and feedback loop. And, and the same thing with playing people's music back for them, I would imagine, happens. So it, it all kind of enhances the desired effect. Um, do you find that the combination of the two help the client see themselves and understand the workings of their mind better? Yes, and especially, I love the aha moment. So many of them have it, and all of us have done this. Every single person alive has done this. They're not, they're not listening to the lyrics like I am. I used to be a songwriter, so I'm really going to be listening to all the lyrics because, you know, that's just what we do. And sometimes they'll have an aha moment or an epiphany going, I, I knew how that song sounded, but I didn't realize the lyrics said that. And it'll be something that they're going through, so it helps me get through even deeper. They're like, wow, I was... My subconscious was seeking this out. And then they see that therapy is all about making them conscious of their subconscious and music can do it. So it's just, it just elevates the sessions and it uses a tool that isn't so, uh, you know, traditional or scary, especially for young people. It's very scary to, and it's scary for older people to talk about your feelings with a total stranger who's sitting there with a clipboard sometimes on the first session, which I only do it on the first session. But it's just nice to have their music playing. It just opens up doors I could never do otherwise. Yeah, it's interesting. I seek out different musical uh, pieces or genres, uh, much like, you know, people seek out food. I have to, you know, figure out what I'm in the mood for or what I need at that time. Yes. And, you know, with things like Sirius XM, I can always find something um, to, to either make my brain happy or get me into the desired state. When I was writing my fourth book, Healing Trauma with Yoga, and I was suffering with a lot of procrastination and writer's block, I played the Bhagavad Gita in Sanskrit for three hours while I was sleeping. I played it from the other room. And I, a friend of mine from Harvard who was happened to be Indian told me that I needed to listen to it 10 to 15 minutes a day to really transform my life. And I finally got around to doing it. And I woke up the next morning and I was able to not only do the table of contents, but I also wrote the first chapter of Healing Trauma with Yoga really effortlessly. And um, I'll never forget that. In fact, now working on my fifth book, a Yoga for Anti-Aging book, I, I guess I need to start listening to the Bhagavad Gita in Sanskrit every night to get back in the groove of writing. Um, Let's talk about your brain on music. Adriana, I'm sure that your brain was uh, very influenced and developed with your early age training. And I'm curious as to how you think your brain developed, how it might not have developed had you have not had that training from age five. And just a little on everyone's brain on music. I can answer that question fairly well because there's been a lot of research done on the neurological signature of a musician's brain. And in general, what they found, and this is incredible to me, that an anatomist can look at different brains and they can pick out a musician's brain 
but they can't pick out a mathematician's brain or an architect's brain or a painter's brain. Music does seem to shape the brain um, in a very specific way. And this has to happen before the ages of seven or nine. There seems to be a developmental window to have these effects. The training has to be intensive and it has to involve the whole body because uh, when we have motor movements coordinating with auditory system, coordinating with reading music, there's so many parts of the brain involved in that activity. So intensive music training starting at a young age before the ages of seven to nine does change the structure of the brain itself in the white the white matter areas and the gray matter areas. Now, just to slow that down, I can give you an example. There's a structure that separates the two hemispheres of the brain, and it's called the corpus callosum, yes. and it's a fibrous bundle, and it, it it sends signals quickly back and forth between the two sides of the brain. In musicians, that that structure will be thickened. There'll be more fibers in it. Uh, it's been bulked up through all the training. The auditory, the, the parts of our brains that, that process sounds are also show more density in them and the motor areas and the sensory areas. And these are, again, it's, it's, you would call it a neurological signature. However, there are other ways that, that music training can change the brain even after that window of seven to nine years old. So they found, and now we're going back to your 90s hip-hop, that beatboxers show functional changes in their brain. And by functional, it's how their brain is being used as opposed to the, the structure, architecture of the brain. And these, this is a pattern that you see in beatboxers who use their mouths to make sounds. And other types of musicians will show other types of functional changes even after that developmental window. And there is some early evidence, and I'm always careful not to overstate some uh, something, but there's some early evidence that even in older adults who have never played an instrument before, there are some changes happening. So in one study that was done in Florida, they took retirees between the ages of 65 and 80, and they enrolled half of the group in piano lessons, and they practiced at home three times a week. Um, after six months, the ones who had the piano lessons showed slight improvements in short-term memory and executive functioning compared to their their peers who didn't have the piano lessons. So all through life, music can benefit us. Wonderful. So for those of you who are listening who have young children and you want to get more connectivity between the right and left brains, um, Enroll your children in, in musical training as, as early as you can. So, uh, Mary Joy, when you were a musician, um, do you really feel like you understood all of the therapeutic benefits of music? Or is this something that has come to you later in life as a therapist? Well, I kind of did because my undergraduate degree was in theater. So I knew that we could, and I was a lighting and sound major. So I knew we could manipulate the mood of the audience by music, by scoring a play, like they score movies. I, I was very, 
you know, I was very well established in how it could manipulate people's moods because we're trying to get the audience to feel what the play wants to convey or the film wants to. Even now, when I, I do meditation um, videos, I do them on, on YouTube. At, at the end of every chapter of my book, I have a meditation and I scored the meditations. I read the meditation, but I scored them with the voice. I didn't just you know, play music and then talk over it. I did it in reverse of what people might think I did. So I was very well aware of it. And that's why I love it so much because I remember just sitting in rooms with other songwriters and collaborating or writing by myself. And I say, this is great. And I say, this is just like therapy. Only it's, it's sometimes it's not as much fun. Sometimes it is as, it is as rewarding and is as much fun. So yes, I, I was aware of it. And I think that music is such a, a, such a beautiful language. And we don't have to guess if a song is sad or happy, do we? And this, it's, it is literally the universal language. It doesn't matter if you like opera or or not, you can tell if the song is sad or happy, even if you don't understand the language. So I think it is that universal language that makes us all one. And, and I do believe that we're, we're all, you know, there is a collective consciousness, whether you argue it from science or from the spirit, there is a collective consciousness and music does seem to draw people together. So I, I was aware of it. Like the original language of, of human Yes. Planet. Well, I think Leonard, I think it was, I think it was Leonard Bernstein that was searching for, I think it was called the Ur song, You Are. I'd have to do fact check. Maybe Adriana knows that. But he was looking for that song that, that you know, the book of Psalms is just a book of songs. Those are that's a lyric sheet, and and other like you you Sanskrit. Those are those chants have been passed down through ancient ancient practices. Some of them aren't even written down; they're just passed down. So these are very important melodies. And I tell people, you know, like a, a brief story. I broke my leg when I was twelve. I had no musical training, but there someone had paid my father with a piano, and I was bored witless in a wheelchair for a year. And I said, well, I'll learn to play that thing because I tried knitting and painting nothing worked but the music it just spoke to me and I just started learning how to play and I taught myself and yes so it's very healing very very healing so I think that music not only heals it it trans it transports and and transmutes trauma into something greater and then I ended up a songwriter so is you can turn tragedy into something beautiful if you right. so choose to do it that, that is beautiful. Um, I just got back from teaching in Japan, and I use a lot of Sanskrit chants, especially from Sanatam Kar towards the end of my classes. And having taught all over the world where there's often a language barrier, I find that many of the Sanskrit chants uh, bring people to tears. Uh, they don't understand what the chant means. Perhaps they've never heard it before, but the the effects worldwide from Saudi Arabia to Japan to other countries I've taught in, the effects are, are usually the same. And, and it's really beautiful to see that I can communicate with my students using music um, if language is an issue. Yes, beautiful. So continuing with our conversation of your brain on music, I would like to speak with you both about uh, different healing frequencies. Um, you know, I go on YouTube sometimes and I'll play some, you know, positive vibration music or the most healing frequency music, which I think is like 640 hertz or something. Um, you know, I'm wondering how these um, 
hurts affect our brains and and then we'll get a little bit into different brain states uh, using different technologies. So so feel free to both weigh in on that. Go ahead, Adriana. If you, you, you know the frequencies better than I do. <laughs> well, th- actually, that's not an area I looked at, into a lot in my book, specific frequencies. I, I looked more into how our brains synchronize to rhythms in music. And that itself is, is fascinating because, as you know, probably as uh, someone who studies the mind, we have many different oscillation patterns happening in our brain, electrical activities happening in our brain. And these are called brain waves in popular language. And brain waves determine our levels of alertness or our levels of relaxation. And what is has been demonstrated is that our brains will synchronize to the steady rhythm that we hear in music. So if the beat is going very fast, our brain waves will start to rev up. And if they're going very slowly, the beat in the song, our brain waves will slow down. And so that's a, a really easy way to use music to to change our, our alertness. If you want to go for a run and be really perked up, you want to choose music at, at about 120 beats per minute. If you want to relax, you want the pace of a resting heartbeat, about 60 to 80 beats per minute. And those that playlists organized by beats per minute are easy to find online. Yeah, and a lot of our listeners are old school aerobics instructors and they know the BPM. So the 120. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> disco. All disco is at 120, right? It really yes. does work. It's that it does. Yes. Yes, it does. It absolutely does. And to to talk about frequencies, they work too, though I can't say specific frequencies. I can tell you that people respond to them. And when people don't believe in this, uh, as we as we spoke earlier, if you watch a scary movie, they are using low frequencies or piercing frequencies to get your attention, to raise your fear level, to get your adrenaline and your cortisol pumping. They're using music to do that. Conversely, like if you're watching a, a romantic comedy or something that's more humorous, they're using more high-pitched sounds. And like in therapy, what I'll do, because I have singing bowls and I use them, they're very calming, especially with people that have PTSD. I have one that's an E note, but but it's beautiful. It was made in Arizona and it's made of an alloy. And when it plays, it has overtones. It's very calming. Now, I play that for some people and it drives them crazy. I have another one that's a higher pitch that I really don't like, but it works well for people with depression. So again, these frequencies are all individual. There's not a one size fits all frequency that makes people feel better or worse. Though the lower and slower something is, and then beatless music, you know, to, to address like there is there are beatless music pieces, such as meditation music, they're more about the flow of the brain. So they respond too because they're they're flowing, kind of like a scoring of a movie. That doesn't necessarily have a beat. It just kind of it has movements. You study classical music, so it has movement. You know, the movements. That's why they call those movements in classical music. You could definitely address that better than I could. But there's a reason it's changing. I think Billy Joel was the most a living example of someone who's classically trained who went into pop music and a lot of his songs have movements. They start out in one place, like the a bottle of red, a bottle of white. It starts out very slow and then it goes very quickly and then it brings your mood back to slow. So it's it, music is just a way to talk to yourself and to connect you to yourself and to your brain. Whatever makes you feel happy or sad, sometimes you need to feel sad and cry. That's what works. 
I really so, appreciate I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, music has obviously continues to change and evolve uh, with the times. And I'm curious um, for, for both of you to answer this. Do you think, um, you know, listening to like 70s rock, there seemed to be so much space and freedom in the music. And then things changed with the 80s music, with the disco, um, with, you know, drum machines, with um, more kind of dance music coming onto the scene from the UK uh, and, you know, moving more into the 90s with, um, other than my 90s hip hop, again, more electronica, more dance music. Uh, how do you think the tempo and the temperature of the music uh, changes and reflects the, the time that we're living in and mirrors back to people that time? Oh, that's a great question because I'm a child of the, I wouldn't say child. I was born in the 50s. So I had the 60s music, which is, I was a little young for that, but the you 70s. You look great, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's music. Music keeps you young, too. Music keeps you young, too. <laughs> I believe that. I'm going to be dancing. I, I said to Fred last night, I said, I'm going to be, you know, going to, to nightclubs and dancing probably till I'm 80. And I'll be like that old woman. Yeah. You're like, what is she doing here? Hopefully I'll be wearing some sunglasses and because of all the yoga, I'll still be looking good. But I, I do 100% believe that music and dancing and singing keeps you very young. Oh, yes, it, it absolutely does. And so I love that 70s open feeling. And back then, we were a very open group of, of young people. We were. We were open. And then the 80s came in with all the excess and the craziness. And my first job out of college, I, I worked for KISS for three years with heavy metal. I was... Oh my gosh, it was like Gidget goes wow. heavy metal. It was uh, doing makeup and wardrobe. So I got to be in the dressing room most of the time, which was a blessing because I didn't like heavy metal. And I'm in I'm their dressing room. Some very interesting stories. <laughs> I have interesting stories. And, <laughs> but, but I was listening in their dressing room. I was listening to, you know, things I liked, like Lerner and Lull or Dolly Parton. I, I had a very eclectic taste and uh, I did not like heavy metal, but it taught me a lot. And I saw what, you know, when the music was on, what it did to the crowd. And I did go out for one ballad that they had at the end of the show and the crowd would just get so soft and slow and I got ah, back to that more open thing so I think every generation that collective consciousness again does choose a music that speaks for it I think it does and I embrace all of them because you know you've got them if you really want to and I do love people and different cultures I just love to embrace it all so when you hear it it just teaches you so much so fast if you want to embrace a culture listen to the music first if you're going to go on a trip and you don't know the language listen to their music you'll understand it immediately and if you're in Asia go to karaoke with them yeah, they love that. Yeah, and I love that too. Um, in fact, we did that on my most recent trip to Japan. We had a night of karaoke and I ended up playing uh, some, you know, hip hop music with some explicit lyrics that they probably weren't expecting their yoga teacher to be <laughs> picking out. But it was fun nonetheless, I think, that uh, having uh, a, a wide palette uh, in terms of music is a good one. So what do you think today's music says about our culture? Well, one thing that was interesting, um, some research that came out of the University of Toronto just this fall was tracking 
music based song lyrics and the vibe of of the song based on um, attachment styles so we know uh, you've probably heard i mean you as a psychologist mary you would be familiar with the secure attachment and the mm-hmm. avoidant attachment and all of that and they were showing that um the the more predominant styles that we have today reflected in our music are not the secure attachments but the the less secure attachments and that's like anxious attachment yeah, yes. yeah, or, or it, yes. mixed attachment. I don't have the terms at the top of my tongue. I'm there's tipping anxious, my tongue. there's avoidant, and there's secure. Am I correct in that, Mary? Yes. yes. I think Avoid, there's and anxious, preoccupied, like, oh, do you love me? Do you love me? And then the avoidant, totally avoid, like, I don't want to love anybody, then I won't get hurt. Yeah. And if my memory serves correctly, the, yeah, the more avoidant attachment style was reflected in the current music more than it was decades mm-hmm. ago. And so that does say something about social connection and uh, securely the, the sense of belonging and the sense of, of interconnection we might be feeling today in mainstream society, which is actually something music can help with. Yes. Because music, um, even if we're by ourselves, this has been demonstrated in hospital rooms, in people recovering from heart surgery, even if they're alone in a hospital bed, if they're listening to music, their oxytocin levels rise. And oxytocin is a hormone and a brain chemical that is associated with social bonding. Music goes so far back in our species as a social bonding tool that even if we're by ourselves, it stimulates some of that in our, our chemistry, which I find absolutely incredible. The Some of the oldest instruments were discovered in Ice Age caves in Europe and they're made of mammoth bone and wow. vulture wing. And they are uh, between 40 and 60,000 years old. Wow. And those could not possibly have been the first instruments because they were too sophisticated. The first instruments would have been even earlier, perhaps hollow logs or certainly the human voice. So as you said earlier, Beth, this is very old. It is universal. There is not a human society ever studied that did not have some form of music in it. Uh, no, and I'd like to add really, that, that really, back in the it's in our DNA, it's in our ancestral yes. DNA. It, it's really music as part music and sound is as part of who we are. And I'd love to add just one thing. Back in the '60s and '70s, and I'm glad I've lived this. So I don't mind saying that. I'm glad I lived through these things. We were looking for a utopia. We talked about utopia a lot. This generation talks more about dystopia. The lyrics are more dystopic than, than we were looking for the Nirvana. I mean, the name of the bands were Nirvana and Utopia. We were in Nirvana and Utopia and just didn't realize it. And if you if you listen to a lot of that music, you hear it in the music. I mean, there's, there's so much freedom and space and yes. joy and it's light. Yes. And it is open. And now things are more dystopic. They're a little darker. And a lot of musicians, and I, you know, the internet is the very thing that cost me a job in the music business because of downsizing. But because of the internet, we can put music out now that we couldn't before. So the choices are endless. So people can choose. There's not just what the record labels tell you to listen to. It's what you love. You can find an artist somewhere. Like I have artists that I absolutely love that are so obscure, but I love their music and I listen to them and they, you know, they just make me feel good. But I think that we do have some more dystopic lyrics and things going on in today's music than we did before. It's not quite as happy. 
not not all of it, but it's not quite as happy as it used to be. I do notice that. Yeah, I definitely feel that listening to music from different uh, time periods. And, you know, music from the 20s and 30s was different, uh, certainly from the 50s, seemed to be a little bit more hopeful. Um, Mary, what's happening with the music industry today? Because I know that for smaller artists, as you mentioned, you know, it's not so easy to get a, a conventional record deal anymore. Um, how are things being curated and released in a different way? Well, they're, they don't really put out albums anymore or tangible CDs, although vinyl's making a recovery. Uh, and I have, a, I have a closet full of, of analog tapes, those two-inch tapes. Analog had this beautiful, thick sound that we don't get digitally. It's kind of like with photography. But, but oh, it's I, just I different. I stop you on that because I have a question for you. I feel like CDs had a better sound. They did. Yeah. They sounded better, but they weren't quite as like thick. You know, they had a, there's just a different, they created I mean, different CDs vibe. Have a, had a have a better sound than like the music that I get off of iTunes now. Am I correct in that or is it just my I, I totally, I totally agree with you because they're not generated. They're not being, they're not losing it. We call it losing a generation. You know, when it, when there's an original, which a CD was like the original generation, and you don't lose much in between the original and the CD where you're holding it in your hand. But depending on the Wi-Fi, depending on your connection, I mean, there's just so many variables. But music now, um, anybody can have a studio. I have a studio inside my computer, the one I'm talking to you on right now. Uh, and the microphone I'm using, I have a studio. So people are making music at home. Some people are getting on major labels, but labels are, a lot of labels had to combine forces. I know in Nashville, um, Sony and BMG had to had to join forces. That would be like the Army and Navy football team joining forces. I mean, it was like these two competing companies would join forces because they 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 had to, and uh, so they they learned how to combine. So it's a very different world, and it's a lot faster pace, and it's a lot harder to break in. And they're not selling whole albums anymore. We're selling songs, which is a totally different way. I'm not opposed to it. Whatever suits the audience, you know, we need to, we, we need to evolve. And if this is where it's going, who am I to say it's right or wrong? But well, much like writing a book, um, I've put out four books with major publishers and my fifth book, I'm actually going to, to self-publish because I, I find that with a publisher, they require, you know, at least 157 pages or whatever. So you end up with a lot of so-called filler content that you don't necessarily need. Um, so I, I think that probably albums were the same way and that a lot of the songs were just filler content to support the yes. two or three good songs that were going to be major hits. Especially when there were cassettes or eight tracks when you had time on one side and had to flip. They were, we called them filler songs. So, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Sometimes those are hits, though. <laughs> I recently saw, as part of the Fort Lauderdale Film Festival, a movie um, done on Vanilla Ice. Do you remember Vanilla Ice? Oh. His, his life story and uh, signing, I think it was with uh, Def Jam Records in New York and, and his whole musical trials and tribulations. And it was actually very interesting kind of commentary on the music industry and, and everything that was going on during those times. So um, 
Adriana, where do you think music and um, music and sound is headed in the future? Well, I, I can speak to that on the research front, and yes. I think that we are going to continue to see more and more uh, intensive study of music and healthy aging. I, I have a chapter in my book called The Beat Goes On, and it goes into what we know so far. But certainly that research will continue because the, the population is aging and we need interventions that are effective and free of side effects. And certainly music is showing to have some benefit in Parkinson's disease and in dementia. Can you elaborate? Because I have a friend that was recently diagnosed with Parkinson's. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Because I also heard that one of the early tests for Parkinson's is to have people do the yogic om, om, and they can hear in a sound chamber whether or not someone's going to get Parkinson's like 10 years down the line. That's remarkable. I, I can tell you two things about Parkinson's research. And one is that, first of all, music doesn't cure Parkinson's, but it can help vastly improve quality of life. There was a, a study in Toronto that followed people for three years and they matched the groups at the beginning, and they found that the people who had Parkinson's who attended a weekly dance class did not show the same progression in the disease as the people who didn't have the dance class. And they, they showed less freezing of gait and better, move, uh, better mood and better quality of life. And that's remarkable because there's not a lot that can be done for, for Parkinson's. They, they tend to prescribe dop dopamine, but if the brain can't support the dopamine, then it, it becomes less and less effective over time. So movement therapy, but particularly music, dance, recreational dance is hugely helpful for Parkinson's people. Another brand new thing that is really very much under trial. It hasn't been, it's not ready for prime time yet. It's being studied right now. It's the next best thing if it pans out, is being developed by um, by a team in from Montreal and Israel. And they're using neurofeedback, which is that technology where you have electrodes on your head and you use your brain to imagine something and that actually has a, an effect on how the brain is functioning. They're using that to perk up the pleasure reward circuitry through music um, with the hope that that will train that circuitry to produce more dopamine and hopefully reduce some of the side effects of Parkinson's. It's it's brand new stuff and it's still in, and I'm not sure if I explained it in a way that makes sense, but tell no, me if you did, want more you detail. Did. You did. Um, you know, and I'm going to extrapolate that and say for people, we have a lot of our listeners who are in recovery or trying to stay sober, um, you know, stimulating those dopamine systems and circuitry in a healthy way uh, is is very key for those people, individuals who have otherwise, you know, used opioids or uh, different uh, drugs or alcohol to to stimulate those receptors. So that it's really interesting that you point that out because the same team looking at neurofeedback with music to train the pleasure reward circuitry for Parkinson's is also looking at it for substance abuse survivors or or recovery people recovering from substance abuse. So you're right on 
music is absolutely demonstrated to stimulate dopamine. So it's a matter of of finding ways to leverage that 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 quality of music in in these therapeutic ways. And perhaps at some point, although you know this probably won't happen because you know no one's going to make any money off of it. And we we know that our traditional medical system is set up uh, for profit. Um, but maybe doctors um, will be prescribing music instead of pills, which would be awesome. They do in some places. England. They do. <laughs> yeah, in England, there's there's a program there doing that. And Gainesville uses a lot of um, art therapy. At University of Florida, they had a they have dance therapy and music therapy and and uh, and art therapy and poetry therapy. I think a lot of these things. And I know you like a little controversy, Beth. Yes, I do. So I did an internship at a drug and alcohol rehab when I was getting out of my program and going into my practicums. And I was at a beautiful drug and alcohol clinic, and I won't say which one. It was a beautiful one. And they didn't play any music. And I said, why don't you play music here? And they said, it's a trigger. It makes people want to use. And I said, I would think it would make them not want to use because I get morphine from it. I mean, dopamine is morphine. Our brains make dopamine, which is morphine. Our brains make adrenaline, which is speed. Our brains make oxytocin, which as Adriana said, is the trust hormone. And practicing yoga is the only thing that makes our brains release GABA. Yes, exactly. Literally. I mean, and it affects our vagus nerve. Yeah. Can, I know a lot of people who take it in pill form, but, you know, I, I tried it once. It put me in a coma for like two days. So yeah. you got um, it in your own body. Your own yeah. body makes it and music will, will produce that stimulation, especially back to what we all said at the beginning. If it's music you love. Now, I have not been back to that rehab in a long time. And, uh, oh, and that's, know, a, I, that's a whole nother show we could yeah. do because <laughs> I have uh, friends that are psychiatric nurses at rehab centers. Um my ex was in recovery and I spent some time at one of these places for a codependency one week workshop, you know, and actually ran into a friend of mine from college there who was there because her husband had relapsed and returned to the facility nine times. So with these, you know, so-called centers that are also profit centers, they only have about a 10% recovery rate mm-hmm. and they don't track their patients longer than a year. I don't know if I was you know, running that type of business, I would want to know the long-term effects of the practice. But again, that's a whole nother show. That's a whole nother show. But I, but I did, I did, you know, I, I, I wasn't allowed to disagree, but it was nice. I, I did ask my supervisor, I said, if someone asks me personally as their therapist, because I, I said, if they ask me what I use in, in, as an alternative to drugs, am I allowed to say music? And they said, sure, you could do that. So that was very helpful. And then I would ask them, obviously I couldn't play music in there, but I do the same thing I do now. What's your favorite music? I couldn't play it. I wasn't allowed to, but I certainly would know it usually, you know, cause this was 20 years ago. So I was pretty well versed in most of the music stuff, but, but it does help and it doesn't help everyone. And don't listen to music that triggers you to want to use. Do, do pick out new stuff. You know, like, like Adriana said, she doesn't like listening to classical music. I, I don't blame you. You know, I don't, there's a reason I, I, I don't like it, jazz. I play classical music for my dog because, you know, I understand that it's supposed to be calming for pets. Calming. But I, I don't even know if that's true. Um, 
but it's a conversation I have with my friends with pets very often. It's personal preference. <laughs> Mary, Mary, I really love how you talk about tailoring and personal choice, both in your practice and in, in using music as a tool for these different areas. I, I, I think that message doesn't get through enough. I've done many, many interviews uh, since my book came out uh, seven weeks ago. And people always want to know, what is the magic bullet? What is the one song or the one music genre? And they want to believe that one type is better or superior to the other. So I really appreciate how you reinforce that message. And I want to add, I have nothing against classical music. I think it's beautiful and uh, and exquisite. It's just not for me at this time in my life. <laughs> no, and, and I understand that like the, like certain jazz music, I mean, she was, I was writing country music, which is what is, has a simpler melody than that. And we, you know, a lot of, a lot of musicians would play jazz to just to keep their chops up. I had to study opera to learn how to sing. I mean, it was very grueling. So there's a lot of things. It, it's what you love. And, and I love that your book's all about neuroscience, Adriana, because I don't think people realize that Carl Jung, J-U-N-G, was like the father of psychiatry after he split off from Sigmund Freud his work is coming back into light and he had this term called individuation it's all about you and what you love and nobody has to know it but you nobody has to understand it but you it's what you love and it's what touches and moves you and if you if something doesn't doesn't mean it's toxic it means it's toxic for you if it makes you feel happy it's good for you And speaking of happiness, and this is a great segue into our last couple of minutes where we'll give the listeners some practical tips on uh, choosing music to create the mood. Uh, I, I do spend a lot of time going out dancing because it brings me joy. And also it brings me joy to see that you never see people frowning or angry or crying on the dance floor. Um, regardless of the type of music or the age of the clientele. Uh, This past summer, I went to some like disco revival. I mean, the average age there was probably like 50s plus. Everybody was, everyone who was dancing was happy and smiling and laughing. People who were sitting down, which there were a fair amount of, looked rather miserable. Uh, Most recently, I was in Miami at a nightclub uh, with a DJ Black Coffee. And, you know, people were like pressed. It's like COVID never happened. People were pressed body to body on the dance floor uh, and no one having a hard time with the fact that we were, you know, squeezed in like sardines. So music, dancing brings so much joy. Uh, I'd like you each to tell our listeners uh, just a couple of tips on how they can improve their mental health with music. Who would like to start? I'm happy to start unless Mary wants to go first. Go ahead. Something really that I didn't know about before I started researching my book, Wired for Music, was how much music has been studied in places you wouldn't necessarily expect. So in in surgical wards, multiple studies, and I don't mean one or two, but dozens, have studied music head-to-head with Valium-type drugs to treat preoperative anxiety, the acute anxiety people have just before having surgery. And they found that music was equally effective, which is stunning because this was determined not by the author of the study, but by the Cochrane Group, and they are a global leader in evidence-based medicine. They didn't do one 
look at music uh, for acute anxiety. They did four rigorous, strenuous, you know, uh, mega reviews or meta reviews where they're looking at all of the evidence and, and seeing what's right and what isn't. And each time they gave music thumbs up. So it doesn't mean that that person should refuse Valium if, if they want it, but you could add it to your your acute anxiety um, uh, system and, and feel relief pretty much right away, which is wonderful. Great. Yes, uh, that's so true, Adriana. So so true. We've got about uh, a minute to close. So if you would give our listeners some practical mental health tips with music, that would be awesome. Well, I think we've established the fact that listen to what you love. And I love what Adriana said to add to that. I just read a study the other day preparing for this show that they showed that people that had MRIs listening to music, it had a sedative effect on them listening to what you love. And I actually had an MRI like that one time. And it's what you love that makes you feel good. And the guy said, what do you love? I said, I love Van Morrison. Have you got that? And he said, yeah, I actually do. And, and so it just, I said, great, because I don't really get nervous in MRIs anyway, but if music really, really does, because when you concentrate on the music, you're not concentrating on, I'm going to have surgery. When you think about the lyrics, whenever I'm in a state of, you know, I don't like driving over bridges, I'll sing a song and it automatically will cut off the fear and turn on the dopamine. And it reduces the fear, reduces the cortisol. And I love how Adriana, I cannot wait to read your book because I'm a neuroscience geek. I just don't know as much as you do about it. But I can tell you just from professional experience that people, when they listen to what they love, they feel better. Like you said, nobody's nobody's crying on a dance floor unless it's at a wedding or something, but that's good tears. Yes. Thank well, you very much. Tell us, um, quickly tell us where we can find you both and we'll have all the contact information in the show notes. Well, I'm easy to find online. My name's Mary Joy. Joy is my last name, J-O-Y-E. And I have winterhavencounseling.com. I'm also on mental health discovery and recovery Uh mental health uh, news radio network. So I'm easy to find. Just type in Mary Joy, J-O-Y-E, and I'm on YouTube and all those things. Facebook, just I'm easy to find. (laughs) I'll be looking you up, Mary. I'm also easy to find. Adriana spelled A-D-R-I-A-N-A, and then Barton, B-A-R-T-O-N.com. That's my website. And I have all links to all my press and and podcasts and tv interviews i've done and my book is wired for music a search for health and joy through the science of sound you can find it anywhere books are sold and there's an audiobook as well wonderful can't wait to read that book i'd like to thank you both so much this has been a great show so informational um, to our listeners if you enjoyed this show uh, please share it with as many people as possible and Uh, Keep listening to music, keep singing, keep dancing, stay happy. Uh, We'd like to thank our sponsor, Yoga Fit Training Systems Worldwide, the world's largest yoga mind-body school. We do have a sound healing program at Yoga Fit. Uh, It's a one-day program, so check that out. You can save 15% at checkout by using the code VOICE22 at yogafit.com. Uh, You can find my books anywhere books are sold or visit me online at bethshaw.com, Instagram at bethshawhealth. We'd like to thank you both. Um, Keep playing music, everyone. Namaste. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. Wonderful to meet both of you. you. Same here. Thanks for joining us on Make America Healthy. We hope we've given you some tools you need to take back control of your health. Until next time, we wish you a healthy and wonderful week.